0: It's so fascinating because when we created this program in our clinical practice, I was reading the science on epigenetics and I was incredibly interested in it. And at that time, most of it was around cancer. Cancer very efficiently takes over gene expression from us and turns on genes that drive cancer forward and turns off genes that protect us from cancer. And so that was my real first aha around the power of epigenetics.
1: Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy, and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. It's my birthday tomorrow. And yes, my birthday is just a couple days after Beyonce's birthday. And to celebrate, you know I went to see Beyonce in concert over the weekend in LA, and it was nothing short of mind-blowing and spectacular. I mean, oh my goodness, that beautiful woman knows how to put on a show. And today I want to share a couple traditions that I do on my birthday every single year. And I want to know, do you have any personal and family birthday traditions that you cherish? One of my longest birthday traditions is working out on my birthday. I believe I've been doing this for over 15 years. And I just recently started working out after my concussions and post-concussion syndrome. So I am beyond grateful and excited to honor this tradition tomorrow. Because a few months back, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to. Now, another tradition that we have had since Kingston was born is that we don't work on our birthdays. We take the day off to spend time celebrating as a family, and we also decorate the night before so that our house is full of fun birthday energy. And lastly, I sit down and create a new vision for my 44-year-old self in my journal. I love getting clear on my future vision self and finding ways to show up as her in the present moment And I do this by asking myself some very important questions. This is also one of the most important ways to get clear on your healthy vision self too. I find that it's really hard to stay motivated and consistent when you aren't clear on who you are becoming. When we are crystal clear on how we want to feel and how we want to operate when we are thriving in health and vitality, it is so much easier to commit to the daily activities that are going to get you there. Now, later on this year, or possibly early next year in 2024, I'm going to be sharing my powerful facilitation process for helping you step into your future healthy vision self. So please stay tuned. And then this really ties into today's interview on how to reverse your biological age with simple lifestyle habits and the most important factors in reversing your inner age. I don't know about you, but I would love to age in reverse. And I'm talking my inner age. As Dr. Kara Fitzgerald will share with us today, even reversing our inner age by one year extends our quality of life in a massive way. And that's really my ultimate goal for myself and even for you, to increase our inner age and push back chronic disease for as long as possible so that all of the years that we worked and saved up all of our money that we could use those years and that money for spending time with our favorite people, traveling, and doing what we love, not going to multiple doctor's visits every single week. Now, these past two to three months, I have been going to multiple treatments for my brain and my overall health pretty much every single week. And although I am super grateful to get these brain healing treatments along with labs and trips to check out what's going on with me, it's not just the financial cost, But more importantly, it's the time cost. And time is our most precious commodity. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. I realized very quickly, this is not how I want to spend my 60s and 70s or even my 80s and beyond. Is it how any of us want to live, especially if we've helped caretake and advocate for parents and grandparents and have seen how hard it was for them? Now, before I invite Dr. Kara to the show, there are two things I want you to know. Number one, next week, I'm going to finally reveal the podcast Glow Up Rebrand along with the new cover art for the show. I am so excited for the new name and as a way to celebrate the new podcast name and my birthday, we're going to have a giveaway for the podcast. And the prizes are going to be Apple AirPods Pro valued at $250 because they are really the most convenient way to listen to podcasts and books because as a mom or a woman on the go, you know, you got to get in where you fit in. So I'm a big fan of Apple AirPods. Along with three winners, will get lifetime access to my brand new Metabolism and Hormone Reset course, which is valued at $147. Now, in order to win... All you gotta do is subscribe to the show and take five seconds to rate the show using the five-star rating system from iTunes. Or feel free to rate the show wherever you listen to the show. And you can do this actually right now. And then when we launch the link to enter to win next Tuesday, September 12th, you can just put in your name and you are good to go. And to just give you a hint on the new name, the new name reflects how many of us want to feel on a daily basis. It was so important to me that the name embodied how we want to feel and how we want to show up in the world. So, if you have an idea on what the name is, feel free to DM me on Instagram and share your guess. And the last thing, because it's my birthday week, this week, I mean, literally tomorrow, I am having an annual birthday sale in my Essentially Whole Supplement store, and I'm featuring All of my favorite hormone-loving supplements that literally move the needle. I take so much pride in my supplements and their epic benefits for women's bodies. I personally take many of them myself, and they have been a game-changer for thousands of women so far. So treat yourself to some hormone love by going to drmarisa.com slash shop supplements, and all the details about my epic birthday sale is there. You're also going to get a free guide with any purchase, and uh, actually two free guides with any purchase. I'm just going to be hooking you up, and I'm going to have free shipping. So there's there's some good benefits from ordering on my birthday sale. So I will be sure to have the link in the show notes for my birthday sale page. And the sale is actually ending tomorrow. It's been going on for a couple days now, so be sure to go and check it out today or tomorrow before midnight on September 6th. All right, now I'm honored to have Dr. Kara share her epic research on reversing biological age. But first, I want to quickly intro her. Kara Fitzgerald is engaged in clinical research on the DNA, methylome using diet, and a lifestyle intervention. Her first study was published in the Journal of Aging. She has published a consumer book called Younger You and a program based on the study. She's a medical director of a large integrative virtual and in-person clinic based out of Connecticut. Let's welcome Dr. Kara to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Cara Fitzgerald. How are you doing today, girl? (laughs) Great. Great. It's really nice to be with you. It is so wonderful. I am so excited for our conversation today and... We're going to be talking, I think, what a lot of women would love to know more about, which is how do we extend our biological age? Is that even possible? Like, what does that look like in terms of, you know, creating longevity or how we can stave off chronic conditions for a lot longer? But before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of your brilliance, what I would love to do is have you just start off with. You know, why, what was the impetus for you, or what was that defining moment when you decided that you wanted to go into functional medicine, that you really wanted to focus on longevity and improving or increasing our biological age? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, those are different. Bi- Actually, there's, there's quite a bit of time between my decision to focus on functional medicine and then my entry into studying epigenetics and, and biological age. There's a lot of years between those. But I became enamored of functional medicine and nutritional biochemistry when I saw Dr. Jeff Bland lecture Uh, When I was a student, I was absolutely enamored. So, some of your audience might know that Dr. Jeff Bland is the father of functional medicine. He started, he and his wife started the Institute for Functional Medicine, where I'm faculty and have been faculty for the last decade plus. Let's see. And then, so I finished my. Medical degree. I'm a naturopathic physician by training, and I was fortunate to get a postdoc position in a laboratory under the direction of a nutritional biochemist. So, functional medicine is pretty geeky. We're trying to translate the science into actionable interventions for our patients. Uh, And so, I was there working with a highly regarded nutritional biochemist in the functional medicine space named Dr. Richard Lord. And Part of that was lecturing at IFM uh, on laboratory science at the Institute for Functional Medicine. So it was just this incredible full circle. Dr. Jeff Bland became a a near and dear mentor to me. So in my early years, I was introduced and fell in love with functional medicine and got the importance of that model of medicine, you know, my first steps into my career. Um, And it definitely dictated what I did uh, and how my career played out. Epigenetics, and which is how we measure biological age, and I'll define all of that in a second. I think I was well positioned given my postdoctorate training in a lab and focused on nutritional biochemistry. To, so I was well positioned to be thinking about epigenetics, but it was a it was a program that we designed for our clinic. And based on my read on the literature that we ended up being able to study. So we, we were able to conduct a randomized controlled clinical study looking at our diet and lifestyle intervention and how it influenced epigenetics again i need to define these but our first finding and the thing that just brought so much attention to us to our clinic to my practice i you know i wrote a book about it was the fact that we were able to see in our study group a biological age reversal of over 3 years as compared to our control group And then we followed up with a later publication where we showed the same thing in women. Actually, the women did a little bit better. They were able to reverse their biological age using our our intervention by over four years. And this was just in eight weeks time. So epigenetics is specifically interested in looking at what genes are on and what genes are off. So we're not looking at the DNA itself, but we're looking at the little biochemical marks that kind of sit on top of the DNA and influence what's on and what's off. And we obviously want the best genes on and we want the worst genes off. And our program was designed to do that. And the way that we measure the rate at which our body's aging, our biological age, not our chronological age, which we can't change, but the, the way that we actually measure the physiologic journey of aging is by looking at these little biochemical marks, these what the, the patterns of genes being on and off. And so it was extremely exciting to us to discover that we had been able to reverse biological age. We were the second, maybe the third study ever to demonstrate that. So this is just new knowledge that we're working from. And we were the first randomized control study to demonstrate biological age reversal. And we were the first diet and lifestyle intervention to demonstrate that. So a lot of kind of extraordinary firsts. And, you know, now, as you know, it's in very rapid succession, because so we just published our study in 2021, it's something that we're talking about all the time, isn't it? It's, it's rather amazing. So let me just take a pause there and, and let you kind of unpack that or ask me some questions.
1: One of the, the first things that came up to my mind is, you know, in looking at epigenetics and the power of lifestyle change we can have on how our genes are turned on and turned off. But the thing that I was most fascinated, so I want to get into that in terms of, you know, kind of what types of lifestyle modifications are helping to move us in that right direction in terms of reversing biological age. But then also I was super fascinated to hear that women fared better. And I was just curious (laughs) because this is a a woman's show. This is, you know, um, and I'm just always interested. I know here are two two women. I I started my career out in research as well, but not in functional medicine. I, I started in a... Uh, actually a nuclear arms lab. I was a biochemist for um, looking into mitochondrial um, mRNA, but that was a a different, different time in my life. That was how I started my journey into ultimately into medicine. But I was, yeah, I'm just so fascinating to hear. Was it that the, the lifestyle modifications were just more beneficial on, on women's bodies or were women more consistent? I don't know if you guys were able to walk away with any kind of big insights there.
0: That's awesome. That's a great question and sounds like a really badass career origin for you. That's, that's really interesting to me. Well, as much as I want to like give the ladies a lot of credit for just responding better to the intervention, what I have to say, there's like a little asterisk after that is that our, it's not quite an apples to apples comparison. So in our first study, we used saliva as the specimen. We used the same biological age clock. But we used saliva as the specimen, and in the second study, um, or it was a case series, we used blood. Blood is the currently the better specimen for biological age, and we used two different labs. So in our original study, you, we we needed to use a research laboratory. So we sent our specimen to Yale, and they they did them here in Connecticut, where I live, because there weren't clinical labs available to do this kind of testing.
1: It was so new.
0: It was so new. And it wasn't that long ago. It's kind of crazy, but it wasn't. So, Yale processed them. We used saliva. In our second, we used blood, and they were processed by a commercial clinical laboratory. And so, for those reasons, it's not quite fair to say complete hats off to the ladies. I think both populations adhered to the program really well. One of the things that we did in both and we continue to do in our um, group programs is we have people connect with a nutritionist at least weekly so that they're really engaged in the program. We're not getting giving them a set of instructions and then sort of pushing their boat. Adherence is huge. Um, really being able to, and I think frequent touch points with a support person is what set this study Apart from the rest, in both, just consistent guidance. So I would say that technically, we we would have to go head to head with a group of of male and females where everything where the variables are head, held the same. But the other piece that I would say about the women the women in the in the second publication is they had some degree of interaction, uh, whereas our First study was conducted at a clinical research center and it was very well controlled and there was no interaction except with the nutritionists when they met with them weekly. So different variables, but yeah. We'll have to see. So like, I like to say that the ladies fared, I mean, they did on numbers, they fared a lot better, but we just don't know whether or not that's, you know, that's true or if that's, you know, difference in, in, in some of the tweaks we made.
1: Mm. And I get that with those tweaks, those are, those are substantial enough tweaks that there's definitely room for debate there. I get it. I do love that somehow interaction happened more with the women's group than with the men's group. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we controlled for it in the men's group, but yeah, it's kind of funny. If we both had them side by side and allowed interaction to happen, What, well, yeah, what would happen?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then would you, would you be open to sharing a little bit about some of those interventions? And I know we're going to get deeper into this as well, but in these, in these two group studies, again, these results are just phenomenal, like dramatically phenomenal. It's so
0: fascinating because when we created this program in our clinical practice it was i was reading the science on epigenetics and i was incredibly interested in it and at that time most of it was around cancer cancer very efficiently takes over gene expression from us and turns on genes that drive cancer forward and turns off genes that protect us from cancer and so that was my real first sort of aha around the power of epigenetics and and what compelled me to think about how we might translate that science into clinical practice, how might that be actionable with our patients here. It was many years later. So that was around 2016, 2015, 2014. Biological age, you know, was not changeable in humans I mean the that's what the thinking was so I didn't go into designing the program thinking I'm going to reverse bioage I went into the program thinking how can we optimize gene expression so I so brick by brick we designed a, a nutrition intervention where you know every fork full of food has compounds that help regulate gene expression a diet uh, exercise intervention. You know, we wanted people to sleep well. We had a meditation intervention. We had a couple of supplements that we'll talk about, but everything was brick by brick. How can we optimize gene expression? How can we optimize epigenetics? It was midway through our study because we wanted to see how we were tweaking epigenetics, but it was midway through that the first trial published on biological age reversal. Came out and it was like time stood still in the scientific community. And it was only nine men. It wasn't a controlled study. They it was a year long intervention. They used growth hormone injections, metformin, DHEA. You know, it was a pretty intense protocol over the course of the year. And they reversed their biological age by, I think, about two and a half years in that group of nine men. So that was the first signal. That biological age could be reversed in humans. It was huge, huge news. Nature picked it up. Like all the big journals, scientific journals, everybody was talking about it. It was such big news. Like normally a journal of nature's caliber wouldn't look at a nine man, no control group study and write about it. But Horvath himself, the guy who developed these biological age clocks, was a part of that study. He helped crunch the the clock data and um, it got a lot of attention. So we knew we were going to look at biological age, but at the beginning half of our study, I certainly wasn't expecting we would see anything. I just knew we had the tools because we were looking at the epigenome to measure it. So why not? And so it was huge for us to see that here we were, you know, basically the second study out to show that we could change it.
1: And doubling in the female group, um, almost doubling with that, what was found. And it sounds like maybe the interventions weren't as intense as the interventions that you saw in that first study. That's a lot of kind of Western intervention, a little bit. Yeah. Hormone,
0: you know, growth hormone injections. I mean, it's an intense protocol and ours is a diet and lifestyle intervention. Yeah, it's pretty simple.
1: Yeah, a lot a lot simpler, a lot easier. I think a lot, like everyone who's listening kind of like, you know, an exhale happens of just like, gosh, like that doesn't necessarily feel attainable. I get that there's a lot of biohacking and a lot of things going on out there. But I think, a, you know, the idea that it can be a lifestyle intervention that could reverse our biological age, that feels doable to the everyday person.
0: And you know what was cool? One of the reviewers, when we submitted this for publication, one of our peer reviewers, so other experts read and and comment, said just that, like, this is broadly adoptable. You know, they've crunched numbers on the economics of slowing the aging journey um, because it's ridiculously expensive. You know, we spend so much time really around the world, but we can look at the US. You know, we, on average, at least 16 years. Our final 16 years of life, we have multiple diagnoses. We're on multiple meds. Many of us are in extended care facilities or hospitalizations, or we're, you know, we've got health care or family taking care of us at home. Like the journey of aging in this country is incredibly costly. It's very stressful and the outcomes are horrible. Just to give you some numbers, there was a study that crunched the associated costs of reversing that biological age by slowing aging by simply a year. And it was trillions of savings. You know, it's like trillions of dollars could be saved um, if we pay even a slight amount of attention to this. And so for that reason, um, and others, you know, one of our peer reviewers just was like, this, this is broadly adoptable. And, you know, we need to need to get this information out, like provide people with the basic instructions on how to eat for optimal gene expression for health span for lifespan.
1: Yeah. I agree with you. I, you know, I wouldn't have known that even a year of reversing biological age would save us that much money. But I do know that, you know, by the time we're in our mid to late forties, you know, 93% of us have at least one marker for metabolic dysfunction, at least one, you know, and then it really starts to just stack against us, the older that we get. Unless we're really intentionally
0: choosing a different course.
1: Yeah. So the kind of the thing that I heard a second ago too, was that every bite of food really had the nutrients and the molecules, I'm guessing antioxidant profile to really support beneficial epigenetics. And so I was thinking, you know, are we talking about foods that are, I always think about foods that are feeding and protecting the gut and protecting the liver, you know, obviously also protecting cellular cellular health and mitochondrial health. But what what does that look like? What can that look like for us? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. And yeah, all of those things, the nutrients that influence gene expression, that influence epigenetics are what we call in science, very pleiotrophic, meaning they do a lot of stuff. So they're anti-inflammatory, they're antioxidant, they're anti-cancer, they're immune boosting and balancing. They're awesome sauce on the microbiome. So there are these foods that just do a lot. And what are they? Well, a lot of vegetables, no great surprise, a lot of greens, a lot of cruciferous and colorful fruits and veg, berries, peppers, all the variety of colorful peppers, radishes, just whatever you cruise through your farm, you know, the farm stands that you guys have in abundance in your neck of the woods or anywhere, whoever, wherever anybody's listening. All those beautiful, you know, currently uh, ripening fruits and veg are incredibly important. So our diet was really, really dense in those. And they've got, and actually, before I go into why other nutrients that are incredibly important in our program include, again, back to the polyphenols and the colorful things, uh, green tea, turmeric, or curcumin and turmeric, resveratrol, Rosmarinic acid and rosemary, um, quercetin, luteolin, et cetera, all of these gorgeous, beautiful phytochemicals are key players in regulating gene expression. We also wanted people to consume some protein, so, uh, and animal protein, although I do have in the book, yellow book back there a vegetarian and vegan version. So if you don't eat animal protein, you can still do an intervention. But what we studied in our research did include animal protein. Uh, So clean sources. Uh, We want people to do eggs. Eggs have incredibly important epigenetic nutrient called choline. Liver, if people are willing to do some liver, it is a multivitamin in a food matrix. I don't cook liver myself, but I'll take liver capsules. Uh, And you can get clean sourced, really pretty cheap liver capsules, if you're so inclined.
1: One of my favorite companies, um, Paleo Valley, sells an organ meat blend that I love.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Paleo Valley is a good product. And I believe I mentioned them in the book because they do do good quality stuff. So nuts, seeds, good quality oils, mushrooms. Mushrooms are amazing. So uh, even button mushrooms, but shiitake, maitake, all of them. Uh, Salmon, you know, you and I were talking about the omega-3s that you're using, Clearly, omega 3s are really important in regulating gene expression. So, good, clean, fatty fish is a part of the program as well. Probably the unique attributes are that it's very vegetable centric. And then, you know, you have these additional nutrients together. These do something these really regulate the key epigenetic mark called DNA methylation. So there's about a hundred different ways we regulate gene expression, which ones are on and off. One of the best studied and the most rigorous is something called DNA methylation. So the nutrients in this group are either making the methyl groups that we need to dot the DNA, or they're directing where those methyl groups are placed. So when there's a lot of these methyl groups, they look like red lollipops if on strands of of DNA, so just visualize that. When there's a lot of these red lollipops dotting a particular gene, that gene is inhibited. It can't be turned on. Those red lollipops are blocking it. We need a lot of red lollipops. Methylation is just happening all of the time in every cell of the body, and we've got about at last count, maybe 30 million methylation sites on our DNA. So there's a ton of it. We need to be activating these, but we also need to be making sure these red lollipops are going on the genes we want off. So the genes that drive cancer forward, the genes that drive inflammation forward, you know, the genes that drive oxidative stress forward, the genes that negatively influence the body. We want to inhibit those. And then by and conversely, we want the healthful guiding genes, the anti-inflammatory genes, the protective genes, et cetera. We want those to be able to be on. So we make the red lollipops and then the other foods, the colorful fruits and veg, the some of the compounds in mushrooms, the compounds in fatty fish, et cetera, those will sort of direct traffic, sort of direct where that's happening. And one of the, probably the most exciting things in my study was that we didn't just increase the red lollipops. We moved them around so that the study population had a more youthful presentation of their epigenome than the control group. Like it was just that simple. What we did in our intervention moved that activity around towards something more youthful.
1: That's incredible. And that it was so clear, right? That it was so clear to be able to see now when we're talking about you know there was obviously addition of a lot of polyphenols and phytonutrients and fiber and fatty fish and a lot of the things that are driving kind of you know a reduction of inflammation and moving us in the right direction were there things that were a a full body no but that that were not allowed in this intervention. So, I know that probably a lot of it was more the addition of things to making sure that this was in the diet, but were there things that you had removed from the diet? Like was alcohol allowed? Was coffee allowed? Was processed sugar and ultra processed food, you know, was any was any of that allowed at any at any level? Super
0: super good question. So, yeah, certainly what we pulled out is likely as important as what we put in. Alcohol was excluded for this eight weeks. Um, And we call it the Younger You Intensive. The name of the book is Younger You. And this, what we researched is the Younger You Intensive. But then people can transition onto what we call the Younger You every day. So you don't have to eat this way all the time. People are like, Do I have to do this forever? You know, we got a lot of pushback and I'm like, no, we studied it for eight weeks. That's what we studied it for. So you can transition onto the, onto the everyday. And if you want to have some alcohol, you can. We pulled grains, all grain from this. We pulled dairy and we pulled beans and legumes, but, you know, we know blue zone folks living extremely healthy, you know, well into their later years consume legumes, you know, they consume some alcohol, they consume some grain. And so I'm not gonna turn the the volume down on all of those for all of us, especially legumes. I think I think beans and and legumes can play a really important role in a healthful diet. So we pulled them out for the eight-week intensive mostly because I think people in this country are a little more vulnerable to doing poorly on them. Maybe it'll increase you know glycemic cycling, maybe people have yeah. GI distress something. Yeah. So we pulled it off during the intensive, but then during the everyday, you know, we can certainly reintroduce them, but yeah, we did. And we wanted, we didn't insist that people eat organic. Um, if we did in our research study, we would have actually needed to supply them with the food, which would have been incredibly cost prohibitive. It was a really expensive study as it was, even though it's very small research is expensive. And I was blessed to get a, an unrestricted grant to do this study. So organics are definitely preferred, clean source, liver, obviously, you know, really important, but we didn't require it. And that's kind of cool to me.
1: That is very cool. That's great news. That's a big celebration. You know, we're, we're hearing, you know, I don't, the recent study that came out that shows that there's a substantial amount of PFAS in kale and more, it was more found in organic kale than, than um, conventional, but we're beginning to see that, There's a lot of research into what it is. I think it's the kind of the bio sludge that they're turning into fertilizer.
0: So once upon a time, bio sludge was not allowed as an organic entity.
1: It's becoming more and more and more. And I think there's just crossover that's happening as well.
0: I mean, the the USDA regulations, I think, have just been sort of chiseled down. I mean, once upon a time, they weren't. They were more stringent. Yeah, they were more stringent. Yeah, they wanted to try to get biocillin many, many years ago, but there was not this massive uproar. Actually, I remember it well. Yeah. Oh my God, isn't that fascinating? So now they're al- now they're allowing it.
1: So yeah, it's a debate and a wonder of you know, and you know, the question was, well, what can we eat? <laughs> what can we do? Well, let me say, let me say something interesting.
0: What you've just said, I think, is an important and really disappointing. Like We shouldn't allow this bio sludge into organic farming and hopefully farmers and labels will guide us as to what's appropriate. But one of the cool, cool things about eating a healthful selection of nutrients, regardless of whether they're organic or not, is that some of the compounds within them detox us from the very same problem, chemicals that we're being exposed to. So there's this guy at a University of Kentucky, a research scientist, Bernard Hennig, who's studies this phenomenon. So for instance, he studies the influence of fish oil on the toxicity of PCBs. And you can see that fish oil, you know, shuts down the PCB inflammation driving mechanism in the body. It's amazing. So one of the ways that PCBs exert their toxins is by increasing the pro-inflammatory eicosanoids. You know, the front that we see in arachidonic acid, that again you know, is just exquisitely pro inflammatory prostaglandins. They're like the most, and leukotrients, the most pro inflammatory compounds in the body. PCBs will drive these compounds forward. Omega 3s will inhibit that PCB driven pro inflammatory uh, effect. So, and this is regardless of whether, you know, something's organic or not. We're going to get more bang for a buck in general in organic, but we can see that conventional is still you know, providing us some of those nutrients. So I think it's good that we were able to show success without requiring organic.
1: I do too. I think, because a lot of people, no, they can't afford it. And then I think what ends up happening is like, well, if I can't afford organic, then I make these other decisions, maybe more towards the direction of ultra processed foods that are really not moving us forward. And so, you know, if if, if it's conventional, then do it. Um, I think really, you know, what I always recommend is is rotating rotating your kale with spinach and mixed greens and arugula and just really creating a lot of rotation. And even within the seasons, you know, lots of rotating as many polyphenols as you can and as many different types of the colors of the rainbow that you can. And that way we create more diversity. The recommendation for kind of boosting microbiome diversity is really incorporating 30 different types of plant foods into your diet every single week. And so that's always the goal for us in our house of, you know, and, and, and that's all plants. You know, it could be, it could even be chia seeds, like just making sure that you have, you know, 30 different types of plant foods, herbs, spices, veggies, cruciferous, veggies, fruits, different types of fiber sources. And as long as you've got that diversity, you can really help to support not only your microbiome diversity, but also kind of really support uh, that cellular engine. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely, I think that's fabulous. And to that, to your point there, and by the way, my I was just writing down the whole kale um, bio sludge thing. I, I need to look it up. <laughs> so, I'm just so disappointed to hear that. But in the book, we have a 30-page epinutrient appendix. So to your point of getting 30 different types of, of fruit and veg in per day, um, the appendix is this massive, really cool, one-of-a-kind resource that has tons and tons of these nutrients. And one of the nice things about this is people who are anxious about starting a new dietary pattern. And I was doing a lot of Interviews in very, very mainstream settings when I first, when the book was first published. And I would get this question a lot. You know, people scared and overwhelmed that it's going to be this crazy diet and it's going to be so different. And I would just say, look at the nutrient appendix. You are, go in there with a highlighter and you can see you're already doing a lot right. And to your point, you talking about herbs and spices, those are so, those are epinutrient powerhouses. So we call all of these nutrients that are able to modify gene expression, epinutrients. And there's just, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And, and we can make sure that we're eating them in, you know, adequate amounts at, in every forkful. I mean, I I think we have a responsibility too.
1: I agree. You know, people always ask me how long do I need to stay on this protocol? I have a, a lot of protocols. I'm not probably maybe not as stringent. I, I work with a lot of women with autoimmune conditions, and you know, and struggling with maybe a diagnosis of prediabetes, and we're just really having to walk things back. But obviously, like that underpinning is inflammation and oxidative stress. And you know, I, I put women on, you know, eight again, usually usually thirty to sixty day protocols. And, you know, and really just have them take a look at how they're feeling, what's going on with their body, just really create that mind body connection. But the question I always get is, well, can, when can I go back? And I'm like, I, I really want you to feel into, you know, how you're feeling and just slowly maybe try to integrate some of these things in. But what you may find is that some of these foods just may not ever serve you again, you know, or at least at the capacity that you are consuming them. And that I really, I really encourage inspire us to eat more in the direction of, of what you're talking about in this eight-week study, you know, with with exceptions. Obviously, there's birthday parties, and obviously, there's New Year's Eve. But, um, you know, alcohol is off the table for me, for ultra-processed foods and ultra-processed sugar, grains, dairy. You know, there's just certain foods that I know aren't serving my future brain, definitely not serving my future gut and liver. And, um, and if I really want to have you know, extended longevity to reverse my biological age and to push back even even four to five years of any kind of chronic condition that may be coming down the pike. I know that eating this way and adopting some of the lifestyle habits that I hope we're going to get into as well is what's going to get me there. And even though we all are very diverse, it's kind of my recommendation that it's what's going to get a lot of us there.
0: Yeah, that's right. And there is a possibility for endless diversity in our program. But yeah, to your point, the ball's in our court. You know, how well we will live, how well we will spend our final years, whether we really get to have this robust health span that we all want. We all want it desperately. We don't want to take our hard earned money and savings that we want to pass on to our kids and use it for, you know, big pharma hospitals extended care facilities like we don't want that to be our fate but the reality is unless we really very intentionally make the choices to embrace this way of being you know that's likely going to be where we end up i mean that's where everybody ends up in this that's where we are
1: ending up yeah that's where we are especially women where we lead the pack in cardiovascular disease we lead it in alzheimer's and dementia we lead it in autoimmunity we lead it in, you know, again, stroke and cardiac arrest, and we lead it in type 2 diabetes. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal.
0: I did not know that we were leading the charge, and ugh oh, so brutal, it's so brutal. But you know what's amazing, too? We also, like, when I look at the early adopters, so after our research study, when we started launching this here, you know, we, we do remote work, but, you know, in our clinic, I mean, it's women who are adopting this. I mean, it's women who are paying attention to the work that we're doing. We, I mean, there's a... a men are in the longevity space and very into it. Like when you think of biohacker, you tend to think of, you
1: tend to think of men but we were really the ultimate biohackers. I mean, let's just talk about our menstrual cycle and how we had to figure all of that out, you know, without a lot of modern medicine helping us out for a very long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. And the early adopters of
0: this work, the people who really get it are, are women. So we may lead the charge in the negative, but we definitely have the influence. And we're the ones, tend- you know, still tending to do the shopping for the family and making those really important decisions for all of us. So we're the ones who can change the paradigm, I think. Thanks.
1: Oh, I do agree. I think that women are leading the charge. I, I know that Dr. Bland is definitely the father of functional medicine. But when I look at the um, functional medicine doctors out there in the world, it's, it's so many of us are women. And I just want to just point that out as well, I think, because we really do see, you know, when we look at, I mean, we're, we're kind of the the movers of our communities, we're the glues of our family. And we really do see what's going to make a difference in our family and in our community's lives. And there's something to be said about that
0: you say it. I love it. I love it. We it's really, it's important. I think it's very important. Women get the shout outs that they deserve. And speaking of that, let me just say this. It's popping in my head because we're focusing this and our energy on women. And that's what your work is. There's this woman, there's this amazing exercise physiologist named Stacy Sims. And I podcasted with her. She's such a badass. She's coming on in two weeks. So she has an exquisite, I'm going to give her a plug. I really, she has an exquisite understanding of how women. The exercise experience for women needs to be designed for women. And so you're going to get that when you when you interview her. And it was game changing for me and game changing for so many of my listeners. I mean, it's really different. So I think it's going to be a great podcast.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. I know we're not going to spend as much time in, you know, kind of the exercise physiology around our menstrual cycle. I know we're going to touch upon it. A lot of my women are very much in kind of that perimenopause into menopause where that transition's happening. And what does that look like in terms of extending?
0: it's similar. I mean, she's going to still say, she's going to really point out clear differences in, you know, being a woman at any stage in the journey versus training as a man. That's right. And which is, which is what we've been doing. So I think, I think what she has to say is really nothing short of revolutionary.
1: I'm so excited. Yeah. No, no, the system wasn't built for us, you know, and (laughs) the work system, the fitness world, like so much wasn't built around our cycle, um, our cyclical nature. And I'm so glad that we're finally harnessing what I call a superpower. And and she's doing such a great job in leading the charge. But I have both of her books right here, right in front of me as I'm preparing for that interview too. And I'm more ex- so excited about talking about that next level. Like how do we maintain or even optimize muscle mass as we head into perimenopause and menopause? We maintain that strength and that endurance um, so that we can be the sages and the wisdom givers to our family and communities because that's where we really shine. You know, You know, often when we're... Being diminished by society um, is where we're really rising to the occasion of, of our knowledge, our knowledge base, and so I, I just love how she really poises us to really own our strength and own our power, you know, not only physically but also on a on a mental level as we step into this new incredible journey.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, she's 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 definitely a, an amazing woman. I want to touch on it. I don't know how much time we have left, but you know exercise was an essential is an essential component of our program so just circling back to her message but we wanted it again to be broadly adoptable by anybody there's a lot of folks in our community who just simply need to get off the couch right or get off the the chair so our exercise intervention was just 30 minutes minimum 5 days a week doing whatever you want where your perceived exertion is about 60 to 80% of your max so a 60% perceived exertion is you can still carry on a conversation maybe you're just lightly perspiring but it doesn't have to be really intense and you're doing whatever you want so for my mom who follows our program that's gardening for me I'm a cyclist I can get right into 60 to 80% on my bike easily and that's the minimum of what we wanted our people to do so a minimum of 30 minutes 5 days a week in that in that range Today, as the Younger You program evolves, you know, to your point, we need to have good muscle mass. So we need to be engaging in resistance training. We need to, you know, keep cardiovascular health in tip-top shape. And so, you know, some kind of interval training can be important, again, appropriate for the individual. But in our research study, we kept our exercise prescription really simple. The research on exercise and optimizing gene expression is Awesome, it's powerful. One exercise event can favorably change gene expression. Like it's that potent. Whereas like if you're doing it regularly, of course, you'll have that, you know, multifold over. X the information that our body houses on our genes from our exercise is handed to our offspring. So if we're pre-conception. Some of that information, and that would be associated with metabolic benefit, cardiovascular benefit, muscle benefit, that information we can give to our offspring. sometimes. I like to joke that our you know our kids can have like six packs come into this world with six packs, but which isn't actually true, but it's kind of funny.
1: I feel like my little guy's got a little four pack. He's a lean, mean toddler machine. <laughs> That's awesome. That is
0: so awesome. Yeah, my, my little one is, is super, super strong also. Exercise changes gene expression almost like a bowl of beautiful greens and colorful veg. Like it's exercise acts like a veg. So when we look at the gene expression changes, they mimic what we see you know, in a really healthy eating pattern. It's extraordinary. And the other, the final thing that I want to say about it, plugging exercise, is that the older we get, the more genetic expression benefits. So the more favorable epigenetic changes we'll see, the older we get. So there is no time like the present to start. And it doesn't matter how old we are. In fact, the older we are, the better, you know, according to some really cool science. Yeah.
1: Well, I feel like it answered my question because one of the first questions I was going to ask was, you know, in, you know, with all of the different types of modifications that you brought in, lifestyle modifications, where was the juice worth the squeeze? And my gut always tells me it's nutrition, you know, and, and, but an exercise following right, right behind it. And and some people could argue reducing stress and sleep, but I find those two components are so powerful, but I always lean towards food, you know that the, that you're making that decision more frequently than you're maybe making the exercise. But it sounds like maybe they're pretty comparable.
0: It was fun when I was, you know, just doing endless amounts of interviews because, yeah, the astute interviewer asks me that question all the time. But of course, we don't know because it's a multivariable study. Let me tell you about stress, though. Let me tell you about it because it really blew my mind when I got into the literature around it. First of all, Meditation, a single meditation event can favorably change gene expression. And people who are practice meditators are biologically younger. So it also profoundly changes gene expression. Stress is a pro-aging phenomenon. We can hand stress patterns on our genome down to our offspring as well. We We can hand down trauma you know, the influence of PTSD, unfortunately. We can hand, I'm, sh- I'm actually sure we can hand down resilience patterns as well. But of course those haven't been as studied.
1: I was going to say, we're not studying that.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right, you know. So it's, it, it's incredibly important that we do and that we understand what resiliency looks like in gene expression. But an incredibly interesting aha for me was looking at the biological age clock that we used in our study, the Horvath, sort of the flagship clock. It looks at 353 different of those red lollipops, 353 methylation um, marks and glucocorticoid response elements accounts for 25% of the clock. There's no other variable that has as potent a response. And so that to me suggests at least for this clock, stress is driving it. And it made me really think uh, about stress as being like gasoline on the fire of aging. So I don't know that we can understate, you know, the influence of stress on the aging experience. And now there are subsequent studies that that have come out showing uh, the influence of stress. I mean, certainly we know the influence of stress on the chronic diseases of aging and, you know, so on and so forth. And even when we inherit, you know, stress patterns.
1: I mean, we can see stress on a continuous glucose monitor. We can see it profoundly impact right you know um hyperinsulinemia we know that cortisol co elevates insulin i mean we really do see it play out in real time you know if someone's wearing some of these devices even the whoop strap now has the ability to measure your stress 24/7 and that's an enlightening experience for sure but it's really fascinating the way that our bodies metabolically you know, get ready, gear up, and respond to stress in a really, in a, in what it considered to be a very negative way. Cause it's, it's a lot of oxidative stress on the back end of that
0: yeah it's incredibly important so when we look at all the different variables and and the antidote to stress some sort of a meditation practice of course exercise connection community all of these things that are the antidotes to stress have evidence in the literature for protecting us slowing our biological age to you know reversing patterns of gene expression associated with diseases and so on and so forth so we know all of the interventions i think in the in the in our study are really equally for their own set of arguments very important and then sleep we you know we co- we couldn't we tracked People sleep. We wanted them to get good quality sleep. We can't make people sleep well, but we could give them sleep hygiene sh- tips, and you know, just kind of talk about making sure they have enough runway to get a good amount of sleep at night, and making sure their room is appropriately arranged, et cetera, et cetera. So, sleep is another huge thing, you know. And same thing, people who are not sleeping are aging faster. People are their bio- ins- insomniacs are biologically older, unfortunately. And again, we know. Uh, from the work from, you know, Matthew Walker and other uh, other sci- sleep scientists that it's, you know, associated, poor sleep is associated with all of the chronic diseases of aging as well. And we can turn it around, you know, when we take the time to kind of figure out sleep for us.
1: Yeah. When we put our phones down before bed. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things I learned many years ago was that sleep really starts when you wake up and nobody wants to hear that. But like you reset your circadian rhythm the second you wake up. And, you know, how can you kind of reset and support cortisol and melatonin? Um, And that's getting outside within about an hour of waking. And and that's how we start to really kind of gear ourselves up for a better night's sleep, you know, later in the day. But, yeah, it's, you know, when it comes to sleep, like so many of these other lifestyle practices, is it's intentional.
0: That's right. That's
1: right. So
0: that's, yeah, we... When we designed the program, we couldn't, or when we had an opportunity to study it, it it didn't make any sense for us to remove, you know, any variable, even though it would be fabulous to be able to know what the secret sauce is. And we all have our own ideas, but I, I think every piece is, you know, is essential.
1: This is powerful. Now, one of the things I wanted to share, because I know that your book is available, so we're going to have the book in, inside of the show notes as well, but you have, you have a program where you've made this available to all of us. And so can, can you talk a little bit about that, that we can actually put this into practice? It's one thing for us to talk about the research and the data and kind of what came of this, but this has been happening in real time for the general population for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah. So you can work with our nutritionists, the same amazing nutritionists who worked with our research participants, the same group. I mean, they're just absolutely terrific. And I pop in and, and join you, but we have a we have a group program, and it's at an affordable price point. We wanted it to be again broadly adaptable. We want everybody to be able to do this who's called to do it. So yeah, you'll can include a link in the show notes to that. And in fact, we also have a fun biological age quiz that you can take for free, and you're going to cl- include a, a link to that as well.
1: Well, I think that's the next thing is you, everyone wants to know, well, where do I land on this spectrum? And and with the hopes that we are hopefully younger than our chronological age. And so the first step I would say is go and take the assessment, go and take the questionnaire, see where you land. I mean, I think we're all curious. I know I am. I'm going to go fill out the questionnaire. And then from that step, I mean, one, you're going to be learning a lot about the research that you do as well. But if you are wanting to take it to the next step, if if for some reason you are feeling like chronic conditions are knocking on your door or you just want to extend your longevity and your biological age, this is one of the few programs that are actually like significantly backed by research, and beautifully backed by research and so i just want to encourage anyone listening right now to go and check it out you deserve that at the very least go and get the book so that you have that appendix right and get that get that marker out right where you're you're highlighting oh my gosh i'm actually
0: i'm eating a lot i'm already doing a lot and where can i kind of add in some more yeah it's pretty cool it is it's really cool and if you want, you know, you can certainly you can test your biological age through us as well. If you do the group program, that's that's one way that you can do it. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that we can enter into this conversation and me and my team are are definitely here to support.
1: Well, I just want to say thank you so much for your brilliance, for your mission and purpose for moving us forward. You know, this is the kind of research. This is these are the types of programs that literally change our lives in such a profound way. You know, I think all of us, so many of us, we want to be grandmas and we want to be the favorite grandma, the grandma that's running around, right? The grandma that's got so much energy, like we're dusting the other grandma. Um, and so, I mean, that's my why for sure. And, uh, and you know, we, there's gotta be intention and, and lifestyle interventions. Like you said, there's no better time than the present to start to make these changes. And I believe for every single one of us listening, the time is now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you so much too. Have a beautiful day. The biggest thing I'm walking away from this interview with Kara is hope. Hope that we can reverse our biological age. And this is huge. This is groundbreakingly huge. If you want to learn more about Dr. Kara Fitzgerald Younger You Virtual Group Program, I have all the details in the show notes. And if you want to take the biological age assessment to see what your biological age is, I will have the assessment to go and quickly take to learn more about your health. Now, I took the assessment already, and I have ran my inner age with looking at my DNA and my labs And the inner age that I got on my assessment with Dr. Carol Fitzgerald's assessment and the one that I got with my DNA test and my labs were literally the same. So my inner age is age 35 and I'm literally turning 44 tomorrow. And so just note that this assessment is pretty spot on. So I highly recommend going and checking it out. Again, it will be in the show notes. And then again, a quick reminder to tune into next week's episode. Not only is Dr. Stacey Sims the guest, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have her. I've been trying to get her on the show for over a year, but I'm also going to be kicking off my awesome podcast giveaway and announcing the new name of the podcast to boot. So please don't miss out. Be here next week. I cannot wait to share all the details. And to really continue to support you on your beautiful hormone and metabolic journey. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.